Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Sinari Glenton. It's Wednesday, October 30th, the eve of Halloween. Yes. And in keeping with the season, we're going to be visiting ghosts of stories past. Sinari, you are a reporter for NPR's Business Desk, and you're back with us today looking at a story that you and I both did for the program in June of 2012, the story of Lincoln, the car brand Lincoln. Yeah, there's still very interesting things going on over at Lincoln. This car, believe it or not, used to be the coolest luxury car in the world, driven by celebrities, kings, moguls, and today, well, driven by the old, the out of touch, and, you know, the dudes who are trying to give you a ride at the airport. The Lincoln Town Car. On today's program, we're going to tell you the story of how Lincoln fell so far and how it's trying to regain its former glory, rise from the ashes, and how the future of the American auto industry is really depending on its transformation. Fifteen months ago, when we first did the story, it was still at the beginning. There's new data, right? Yeah, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll find out later what's happening with Lincoln now. But first, let's go to the original story from 2012. All right, let's go back to the glory days of Lincoln, before it was a cab or a limo, 50 years ago when it was the ultimate in cutting-edge technology and sophistication. Don't believe me? Well, cue the chairman of the board, Frank Sinatra. I like a new Lincoln with all of its class. I like a martini and bird on the glass. All right, Alex, this is not a commercial. This is just Frank Sinatra singing a song about the coolest things he can imagine. The song is called Nothing But the Best. And at the time, Lincoln was the best. It's just so hard to imagine. I mean, think of the Frank Sinatra equivalent of today. I mean, I guess would that be Jay Z? These are the cars he sings about. Cruising down A Street, off white Lexus, driving so slow, but BK is from Texas. Me, I'm out there, best home of that boy, Biggie. Yeah, it's impossible to imagine, but Ford, the company that owns Lincoln, is trying to change all that. Actually, it needs to change that. So let's explain. Ford, to be a global car company, a global automaker, it needs to be able to compete with its foreign competition. And right now, it's just not quite there. Ford can compete with those companies on their low-cost models. So Toyota has the Camry and Ford has the Fusion. Honda has a Civic and Ford has the Focus. But what Ford doesn't have is a real-deal competitive luxury car. I mean, Alex, just just name all the luxury brands you can think of. All right. Uh, Mercedes, BMW, Rolls-Royce, uh, Lexus, uh, Infiniti. I'm running out of names. Yeah, the thing about that list is that there's not really an American brand on the list. The most competitive American brand, actually, Alex, is Cadillac. But it's not in the top five worldwide. It's not even top five in the U.S. And Lincoln, not on that list at all. It used to be the pinnacle. And, you know, to allow a, a brand like that to diminish, I think, is sacrilegious. That was David Champion with Consumer Reports. So how did this sacrilege happen? Well, you know the story. The American car companies got comfortable and bloated, and they didn't see the challenges coming from abroad. This is the case with a lot of big companies. It's sort of a classic case in business. You know, the smaller, hungrier companies abroad who want market share, they're more open to innovation. They need to innovate more, whereas the big, comfortable companies, they, they don't see the innovation coming, and they just get you know blindsided, basically. 
Yeah, and the height of innovation for Lincoln was in the early 60s, the Continental, which is this legendary car, especially in you know car geek circles. It was beautiful. It was innovative. It's a classic still today. But after that, the innovation kind of stopped. They turned out the same sort of bloated cars year after year. Meanwhile, Mercedes was growing its market share, and then BMW, and then the Japanese brands, Lexus and Infiniti. Now, I, I just want to point out, this isn't just a sad story about Ford losing its luxury brand. It's a story bigger than that. It's about the auto industry in general, American manufacturing in general, and also the chance to create good, high-paying manufacturing jobs. That's all sort of tied up in this story of Ford being able to turn out a competitive luxury brand. It turns out a luxury brand, it's key to a lot of things that we're going to talk about. The, the, the big key is money. You can make a lot of money. To give you an example, Volkswagen, which is kind of like Ford, it has a luxury brand, Audi. About 10% of the cars VW sells are Audis, but they make up more than 50% of Volkswagen's profit. So imagine if Ford is successful and the Lincoln actually becomes one of the top-selling luxury brands. We're talking about hundreds of thousands more cars sold per year at much larger profits. That would be, you know, most likely a lot more factories, a lot more workers hired in places like Detroit and Ohio. Exactly. Luxury cars, they're the ones that are made here, and the cheaper cars are made outside the U.S. And here's the other thing, technology. All the cool innovations that are standard now, airbags, anti-lock brakes, fuel injection, GPS, that all started in expensive luxury cars. Luxury is the place where automakers come up with cool new things. Right. When you have these super high profit margins that you have in the luxury market, you can take these risks, basically, try new things, experiment in a way that you can't in the non-luxury market. So it's not a stretch to say that for a car company to do what it needs to do in the 21st century, which is innovate, it needs that luxury brand. And that is why Ford is banking on making the Lincoln cool again. The fate of the company sort of depends on it. But here's the question. How do they do that? It turns out there is a blueprint. There is a company that has done pretty much the same thing. That company is Volkswagen, and the brand they did it with is Audi. And here's Scott Kehoe. He's the marketing manager at Audi. There was us, and there was them at that time. And if you look at who uh, uh, them was, there was Lexus, there was BMW, and Mercedes. At Audi, they were making this audacious move to break into that big three. This was in the early 2000s, and at the time, Audi was nowhere near close. There's this number that they use in the auto business. It's called the cross-shop number. It's sort of like a ranking. It's a measure of the brands people consider when they go out to shop for a car. Audi was number seven on the list of cars in 2006, which is basically like saying they weren't even on the list at all. People who were buying luxury cars were thinking first about Mercedes and BMW and Lexus, and then three other cars before they got around to considering Audi. And that is a real problem because, as Scott says, part of what makes something luxury is the fact that other wealthy people already have one. Luxury tends to congregate. (laughs) And we used to celebrate this concept of we're unknown. Isn't this fantastic? We're so unknown. And the brutal thing about being unknown is I think in certain segments it works fantastic. Uh, If you're running a restaurant with only a limited amount of tables, and obviously you want to keep that perfect little balance before the masses come rolling in, or you're running a nightclub. Unfortunately, in the luxury segment, 
people do not spend $90,000 on a great unknown. They spend $90,000 on a great known. Audi's first step, step one of the blueprint, become known. They needed to come up with a huge, effective marketing campaign. Audi wrestled with what their step one should be. What should the message of this campaign be? Did they want to advertise the fact that they had 100 years of history? Did they want to remind people of all the ways that the company innovated in the car business? Did they want to advertise their connection to German design? Well, they decided that the answer would be no. They do something totally different. Forget about the past and focus on the future. Literally, they decided to target people who weren't even in the luxury car market yet, but who would be there soon. And they developed a pretty aggressive marketing campaign around that idea. Younger, cooler, and edgier. Car commercials traditionally are not innovative. They're very conservative, I would say boring. But Audi tried to get out of that mold. I think... We made an enemy, uh, which I think you need to do to have an effective positioning. Who is your enemy? And our enemy is staid, archaic, old-school luxury. Fur coats, brass, uh, marble, old country clubs, dinosaurs. That's our enemy. I actually came across one of these Audi commercials on YouTube, and it is exactly that. Funny, edgy, and creating this enemy. Like the one I saw, it opens on this huge mansion. There's like a fountain, statuary in the front yard, but there's this creepy music playing underneath. And you realize it's a spoof of that scene in The Godfather, you know, that one where the movie producer wakes up in his bed and there's something under his covers. He lifts them up to reveal the head of his favorite racing horse. And he starts screaming. Well, in this ad, he lifts the covers and his hands, instead of being covered with blood, are covered with motor oil. And what's under the covers the fender of his old Mercedes. And sorry, the tagline is pretty funny. It says, we've put old luxury on notice. So that, that's step one. Step two, totally separate yourself from the parent company. This gets back to the idea. It's hard for big old companies to innovate. And the only way they can is essentially to create a brand new company within the old one. Audi has completely separate headquarters, hundreds of miles away from Volkswagen. The designs teams are separate, different ad agencies. It's all separate. And then step three, perhaps the hardest step, make a really cool car. Audi threw out everything that even hinted of Volkswagen or the old Audi when they designed these new cars. They started from the ground up, and they added all these cool new features like these LED running lights that were very popular. They also added all this tech appealing to the same folks who maybe would want to buy an iPod. There's Google Earth built into the car. So that's the blueprint, and Audi proved if you follow it successfully, it works. In just 10 years, the cross-shop number moved from 7 to 2. Globally, Audi is the number two luxury brand, and most importantly, they have the youngest average age of a luxury automaker. They're cool. How far are we from D.C.? D.C., 250 miles. So cool that Tony Stark, the billionaire playboy in Iron Man movies, he drives an Audi. They hired Justin Timberlake, he's pretty cool, to do a whole internet ad campaign it's kind of a mini movie series about Audi. And sure enough, today's stars ended up singing about Audi. To religion trousers, got a private home, started from them public houses. Hair with killer, causing her arousal. Audi A8, told him Audi 5000. 
That's Nicki Minaj featuring 2 Chains with a Z singing about <laughs> Audi. So that is all Lincoln has to do. Run a brilliantly conceived and perfectly executed ad campaign, redesign its cars from the ground up, make them cool and beautiful, and hire Justin Timberlake. Exactly. Do all of that. It's one thing to have a blueprint, but it's another thing to actually execute it. And I have to say, if it was tough for Audi, it seems even tougher for Lincoln. Remember, Audi, their cross-shop score was seven. What is Lincoln's cross-shop score? Their number right now is 11 on that list, but they're following the blueprint. Right. Okay. So step one, become known. Check. Earlier this year, Lincoln hired a new ad agency. The campaign is still a secret. They've told me the theme would be, though, surprise. And it's going to be different from the campaign that you sometimes see right now with the guy from Mad Men, Roger Sterling, who's voicing these Lincoln commercials. It's not going to be that. Exactly. Okay. Step two, separate yourself from the parent company. Check on that as well. Lincoln has a separate new design studio. They no longer have to share space with Ford designers. It's not as separate as Audi got from Volkswagen. Remember, they're hundreds of miles away. Lincoln is only about two miles down the road from Ford. All right. And what about step three? Design a really cool car. Well, they have a new car coming out, and Megan Gillum with Lincoln showed it to me. You'll also notice that the roof looks a little bit different, and I'm sure you've probably heard a little bit about our optional retractable panoramic roof. Now, this is the pre-production model, and this is the car that they're staking their future on. The money shot of the entire program. All right, so you got to tell us. You're our eyes. Will this work? I don't know if it'll work, but this car is more stylish and daring than any Lincoln in decades, which admittedly is not saying much. It's got a huge retractable roof. The lines on the car are much more simple. They're clean. It looks sleek. I would say it's not going to go down in history the way a 1961 Continental did, but it definitely looks different than most of the cars that are on the road right now. And it's funny, when you talk about cars, you naturally compare them to other cars. But the one car the folks at Lincoln don't want you comparing this to is to Ford. And I found that out during the tour. What would be equivalent size in another in another vehicle. This is like the size of, say, a Taurus? It's the size of a, uh, it's the size of a Lexus ES. This is, this is a very close competitor of ours, a Lexus ES. Look at you, not, not, not. Infinity G. <laughs> look, look at you, not, not, not referring to the, the Ford equivalent. Well, it's of completely this. different from a Ford. It shares underpinnings, and that's where the similarities start, stop. This vehicle is completely differentiated from the floor pan up. No shared, very few shared parts. The exterior is completely different. Not even so much as one piece of glass is shared. Comparing to Ford is not a laughing matter to Megan. (laughs) No, no, it's serious business, and she would not fall into a trap. In other words, step two of their blueprint, totally separate yourself from the parent company. It'll take a while to tell whether this bet to resurrect the Lincoln pays off. I mean, people don't buy cars the way they buy clothes. It takes a while for something that's new to become cool again. And we won't really know until we're at a blockbuster movie five or ten years from now and Ryan Gosling or the next Ryan Gosling is playing a handsome trillionaire and he drives off screen in a Lincoln. Nothing but the best is good enough for me. I like to eat lobster. Okay, Sonari, we're back in the present day. It's been over a year. How is Lincoln doing? Well, Lincoln did a lot of the things it said it was going to do. They did a huge marketing blitz. There was a Super Bowl commercial with Jimmy Fallon, which had images of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, oh, right, because Abraham Lincoln 
Lincoln. The Lincoln connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got it. <laughs> Wasn't clear to me what that was about, but now I get it. Well, that was part of the problem. <laughs> Even as Lincoln has redesigned most of its lineup, to put it charitably, it looks like Lincoln continues to find its most enthusiastic audience among older buyers. In many months, Lincoln has done worse than when it was the stodgy old town car brand. Now, to be fair, we said it would take five to ten years to notice a turnaround. But still, you'd think, you know, just like with a year of marketing and a redesign, that you'd see some bump in sales. Yeah, apparently not. Just as when we reported this story, Lincoln is consistently the worst-selling brand among the major luxury set. It's number eight among eight of those big luxury car brands. And what about Audi? Any news there? Well, Audi just keeps getting better and better. For instance, just recently, Audi became the number one affinity brand for millennials. Affinity brand, that's an industry term, I'm assuming. Yes, it it means when you ask millennials which car brand most represents their personality, young people choose Audi, and it beats out Toyota, Honda, Ford, these much bigger, much more popular brands. And that affinity measure. That's a, that's a pretty big deal in the auto industry. Yes, because, you know, in the future, <laughs> like these are the people who are going to be buying the cars. If you don't have to work to sort of convince another generation that they want to buy your cars, that's like half the work is being done for you. So here's my question. If Audi was the blueprint for Lincoln and Lincoln tried to follow the blueprint, they redesigned their car and they also put in place a huge marketing campaign Where's the place where they went wrong? Was it the marketing or was it the redesign? Both? Well, I mean, you know, half of these cars now have been redesigned. When you look at them, that they still don't look that much different from a Taurus, mm-hmm. right? So you look at a MKS and you're like, oh, why spend the extra money for this car when I can just get a Taurus? So the redesign didn't go so awesomely. And the commercials have kind of fell flat. You look at them, you go... That's just kind of weird. The stovepipe hat, what does that have to do with cars? Right. You know, car design and marketing, they're not sciences. They're arts. And sometimes you do well, sometimes you don't. And sometimes you have to spend a lot, a lot of money and keep doing it over and over again to get it right. And if you do get it right, well, it'll, it'll help your career. Which brings us to our final piece of news. When we first reported this story, Scott Kehoe was Audi's marketing guy. Now he's Audi America's CEO. All right, so that wraps it up for us today. And before we close up, I'd like to thank Ivan Drury and Jeremy Acevedo at Edmunds.com who helped with the really complicated auto figures in this story. And as always, we would love to hear your thoughts. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, Spotify. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Sonari Glutton. Thank you for listening. We're gonna go traveling And have us a fling We'll visit a palace And dine with a king We're gonna start living You wait and see Nothing but the best is good enough for me